and welcome to Looped In. This is the Houston Chronicle podcast all about real estate. The deals, the dirt, the people, the places, it's all here. I'm Marissa Leck, real estate reporter with Houston Chronicle. And I'm Rebecca Schutz, a housing reporter at the Houston Chronicle. Today we're here with Elin Chang, City Hall reporter. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Of course. So we were actually just chatting about the Ashby and zoning in our Mm -hmm. last episode, and it just sort of dovetails perfectly with some reporting that you've been working on Mm -hmm. about conservation districts. So this would affect a lot of real estate development in residential areas. This is something new. It's like a new way to layer on some rules about what's built in your neighborhood. Could you talk about how did this come about? Um, So I think the goal of this new proposal, according to city officials, is to really come up with an easier preservation tool than historic districts um, for neighborhoods that might not meet specific requirements of historic districts to protect their community or regulate certain features in their community. Um, And Mayor Sylvester Turner has characterized it as a way to stop gentrification in historically marginalized communities. Um, as you know, historic districts have more specific requirements when it comes to the actual historic materials in place. You know, for example, it wants uh, certain buildings to be older than 50 years old. You know, the buildings, the structures have to be a part of a specific architectural style or the location associated with an important person or event. And now that is the case here um, for conservation districts. And what is really unique about this model is that Um, property owners will be able to choose for themselves from a list of 19 areas of regulations what they want to impose on their communities. Basically, the idea was that it was too hard to make a historic district Mm -hmm. in the past. Yeah. Right? And um, didn't this affect um, Riverside Terrace? They didn't want a historic district. Yeah. So we've talked about Riverside Terrace on this podcast before. And there was this big a really heated battle about a historic district there because there were fears that it would make repairing the homes more expensive, fears about losing some control, I think. And I think people already had some anxieties about being able to hold on to these beautiful but aging homes. They they were just like really against the idea of additional restrictions being placed upon them. Right. And that's another thing here. Conservation districts is going to have looser requirements when it comes to getting approval from property owners. For historic districts, it required at least 67% of approval um, from property owners. And here we only require um, more than 51%. So we've seen how those historic uh, district designation proposals have become really controversial and divisive in the past. And, you know, some projects just really failed to gather that two-thirds support from property owners. Um, and here is much easier to carry out. And that's mm-hmm. another point of contention. You know, some people who subscribe to that property rights ethos are worried that here is going to be easier for, you know, a group of pro- property owners to kind of steamroll the community um, yeah. into making it a conservation district. Yeah, fewer yeah. people have to opt in. I think the idea behind having fewer people to opt in was that uh, the the rules are around property owners, right? So then, so if there's a neighborhood where there's a lot of rentals, if you had renters uh-huh. that were like, yeah, I'm down for a conservation district, I want to keep this neighborhood, they wouldn't actually have a voice. Uh-huh. Do you see what I mean? 
So I think that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but I think the idea is like it could actually like make it easier to preserve areas where there are more renters. For sure. That's the intention. And just like the overall is going to be a less burdensome process. And city officials have also said that with historic districts, we're seeing a majority of them located in more affluent neighborhoods because of yeah. those, you know, the harder process. And here they're hoping that, you know, less privileged neighborhoods, more low-income neighborhoods could take advantage of this new tool if it gets approved. And you're saying that there are all these different options for the tool and that hopefully it wouldn't make repairs more difficult, right? It's really going to depend on what a community chooses um, to impose on their area. Like the options include things like building height and sides, um, building features, parking, roofline, garage, architectural style, and also demolitions. So it's really going to depend on which specific framework a community chooses for their own area. So it's community-driven. Each district would define its own The property owners, yes, would be able to choose from the list. And is the only way for a neighborhood to be selected for this vote for the community members to put it forth? Because I know I I went to, I was saying, I went to one Riverside Terrace meeting and they were afraid that the planning department could just be like, all right, we're going to have this area vote on a conservation district. Oh, like impose it it on. I think it would still be up for a vote, but they would set the ball rolling. And since fewer people need to opt in, they're afraid that it it would in the end create it even if they didn't start the ball rolling. The intent, according to the planning department, is for this initiative to be bottom-up, but similarly, there is no formal application process. How it works is property owners will talk to the planning department to express their interests, and the planning department is going to start a whole process. And yes, the process is still going to involve you know, getting public comments, getting approval from property owners, but it's going to, there isn't a formal process for a resident to initiate the process. Okay. And actually, the original intent of this framework is for it to not name specific neighborhoods, to be as flexible as possible and only setting up a framework for establishing this. But that was um, a point of disagreement in during the public engagement period. And now, in the final iteration of the proposal, the planning department decided to include six neighborhoods as the kind of pilot projects that they're going to consider first before, you know, accepting, I guess, interests from other communities. And the neighborhoods are Independent Heights, Freedmanstown, Acre Home, Magnolia Park, Pleasantville, and Piney Point. Not Manchester? Oh, yeah. Manchester, Magnolia Park. Okay. But these are all areas that, I mean... If you drive to them, you you would recognize. I mean, Friedmanstown, for example, like the brick, like you'd be like, oh, this is kind of old and cool. But right. I don't know if, you know, I guess I would have just like assumed that it's like historic or something. Right. I can understand why they may be interested in preserving some of that old material. So I guess I'm kind of confused, though. Like, how would this prevent gentrification? As we talked about with the Riverside Terraces, like if you make it more expensive to upkeep a property— you know, that means that that will make it harder for property owners. But even for renters, those increased costs get passed on to renters eventually in the form of rent increases, right? So what have you heard around uh, gentrification concerns about this? Right. So the planning department told me that the ordinance, in essence, is anti-speculation. So it's going to prevent, 
you know, outside developers to just come in, build something out of proportion, and jack up the prices. But、oh. you are right; not everyone agrees with that.、Um, and some professors and researchers I spoke with told me, like you said, that、um, after looking at similar conservation district programs across the country, and、um, these aesthetic regulation could end up actually increasing housing prices. And you know, the restrictions, you know, any kind of restrictions on Um, development, new construction could, in a city like Houston that is growing, eventually actually exacerbate gentrification in the long term. And by making kind of like these frozen neighborhoods that are more aesthetically pleasing and、uh, taking a low density form, that could make the neighborhood more attractive to、mm-hmm. other people, right?、Uh, and that could also, in the long term, drive up housing prices and lead to displacement of people who are living there right now. This kind of goes back to the Riverside Terrace discussion:、mm-hmm. Is the neighborhood the structure, or is it the people? Right. Exactly. Some But, people have told me that you know, by regulating the appearances of buildings,、um, you can't really stop the change of who's going to end up living in those buildings. Yeah. So, I mean, what what is the argument that this would prevent gentrification? Like, because it seems like the city's arguing completely the opposite, right? How would conservation districts potentially prevent gentrification? Right, I think that goes back to what the planning department told me: is that this is anti-speculation. Is that a code for townhomes? I think what you mean by coding is 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 that just like a language masking? Like they're trying to prevent having like a townhome or something in a traditional neighborhood, some kind of new thing. Right, I think there is one of the options is regulating demolitions. Um, a new、okay. construction. So, depending on what the neighborhood chooses, it could deter speculation and short-term displacement. And, and the de- demolition. When you like, we're talking about the options. That one was the one that stood out to me because I didn't understand、mm. what that meant. Right. It's very vague as of now. So it's really going to depend on how they regulate the specific conservation district,、um, which is can't tell right、yeah. now. I, I guess I just can't understand how you, what restrictions you would put on demolition. That you just can't demolish because some some buildings are going to be like past saving, but maybe、um, maybe 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 they aren't. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, an anti demolition thing sounds interesting. I mean, I do understand. Yeah, people want to save the historic buildings. I would be very interested in the details of those. The other ones, I sort of understand.、Yeah. I mean, this also dovetails with some other options neighborhoods have, such as like minimum lot sizes. You know, you can do that. Uh, de- for a single block phase,、mm-hmm. deed restrictions, yeah, are yeah. are difficult. I think minimum lot sizes are pretty easy to put in place. Oh, okay. But maybe this would maybe this would give more flexibility because the minimum lot size,、uh, when you put it in place, it's based off of the lot sizes that are already existing.、Mm. And I remember one neighborhood in Denver Harbor, they ran into this issue where where they did campaign to put in minimum lot sizes because they were they felt that. Subdividing the lots into townhomes was going to raise the value of the land,、mm-hmm. which would raise their taxes, and they they were afraid that a lot of people wouldn't be able to afford that. But they found out that these homes were all built on technically double lots. They couldn't use this ordinance to prevent the lots from being broken up、mm-hmm. because the planning department was like, "Oh, well, technically every home is on two lots, so I can't prevent." Anyone from breaking it into two lots,、oh, wow. and they were they were like, "Well, we did all this organizing, so maybe, maybe this would 
allow them to do the minimum lot size they actually wanted, you know. I spoke with some advocates um, from Friedman's Tongue, and uh-huh. they told me that as of now, they're most interested in regulating the architectural style and the demolitions. And okay. what they said they, they wanted to do was to just prevent demolitions of specific historic buildings and yeah. having it be flexible and not universally applying it to the whole area. And that's what they told me. Like, yeah. You don't want to save the new house. <laughs> no, like, for sure. And Town those... is an example where you mm-hmm. see like a lot of the historic structures getting wiped out. Yeah. We had more than like 500 in the 80s and now we have f- fewer than 40. So oh, yeah, wow. I do yeah. understand those. Yeah, it feels like it's just closing in. Exactly. Yeah. How many neighborhoods did you say were going to be pilot six? Six. And that doesn't mean that all of them are going to become conservation district. It just means that the city will consider them first. Oh, like, So the, the residents will be up yeah. for vote first, right? Right, but they're not voting on uh, establishing these districts um, next week. They're setting up the framework next week, and they're going to con- start considering these neighborhoods one by one. Oh, and I guess we should say we're talking on March 24th. As an update, during the March 29 city council meeting, the vote was postponed because Councilmember Michael Kubosh said he wanted more information about how the six neighborhoods were selected. So they will consider it again next week. So yes. <laughs> ne- next week is uh, what she's referring to is the city council is expected to discuss this next week. Exactly. Um, but I think what Rebecca was asking or clarifying was that even if the city council says, hey, uh, you know, we support having these neighborhoods be the pilot, the residents themselves ultimately still would have to vote to approve right. the district, right? And the city said they chose these six neighborhoods because residents there already express interest one thing that I heard at this Riverside Terrace meeting was that um, that I'm, I would be interested in a city hall reporter's perspective on was they said that this vote ha- is moving more quickly than most city council votes. Like it's been moved from committee to city council faster than usual. Is that something you've heard? Something that I heard is that, you know, they keep putting up dif- different versions of the proposal and it was hard for community members to keep track of everything. For yeah. example, the latest version just came out on um, the Thursday, like yesterday, Thursday before next week's vote. So mm. community members really won't have much time to discuss and voice their feedback to the city council before then. Okay. Um, and also, I think it's also the nature of this framework is kind of it's a little confusing right it's hard to understand what exactly it is Mm -hmm. like compared to a historic district which we know exactly what it is this is a very a much newer concept and i think it just requires nationally right it's a newer newer concept nationally Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, you know i think that just like stepping back at the big picture of all this i was just chatting with bill fulton he used to be at the kinder institute now he's he's still in houston but he's with the turner center for housing with uc berkeley But he was talking about how in Houston there, over the past few years, there's been a rise in residents trying to figure out how to control what's happening in their neighborhoods. And he was talking about two decades ago, maybe there was only like one or a few historic districts. Now there's over Mm -hmm. 20. And so I think that this is just another Another example of residents trying to figure out, like, how do we preserve, how do we control, especially in, you know, these traditional, like, single-family neighborhoods or these areas that that were special, and then now it's just especially inner loop. The development's closing in on them. 
Right. No, I agree, and I feel like there's also a growing pushback to that as well. And some preservationists I spoke with told me that you know even though we have more than twenty historic district right now, it would be really hard to have another bigger one、uh, go through because there's also a lot of opposition to these projects, as you guys know.、Mm. Um, so this is a way for like smaller neighborhoods, you know, to really try to. Have some control over their communities without, hopefully, having it subject to the same opposition as what happened with historic districts. I guess、um, what I'm wondering though is, it just going to end up where we have like all these super cute little historic, like neighborhoods, like in the inner loop, and then like, you know, to actually afford to live somewhere, you got to be like just outside of it in an apartment, or <laughs> you know, or in a suburb or something、mm-hmm. like that. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that could be, but that concern is not unique to conservation districts, right? Yeah, like when、sure. you talk about preservation in general, like the top concern is always the possibility of gentrification and displacement. So、yeah. we'll see what happens here. I feel like people always look at Houston as, like they always tie affordability to lack of zoning. Yeah, and it's obviously much more complicated than that. You know, like other other cities are doing away with single family zoning in order. To try to create more affordable housing, but all the communities you named are、um, are places、oh. fighting to stay affordable. Yeah, to, to bring it back, another thing、uh, Bill Fulton has mentioned was it's ironic that their cities are looking to Houston and there are no zoning as an example of how to generate more residential development for housing affordability. So other cities are looking at us, but we are doing the opposite. <laughs> like we're we're going in the opposite direction in some ways. Like we're coming up with more. Like quasi zoning, zoning light type of approaches. Obviously, this is nowhere near the kind of zoning that you might see in other cities, and it's going to be hopefully neighborhood driven.、Um, you know, so it's it's maybe not an apples to apples comparison. But. True, but it's going to depend on what your definition of zoning is, right?、Yeah. Like the Texas Supreme Court said, Houston's historic district program is not a form of zoning because oh they did yes、oh, I think in twenty twenty one yeah oh really okay I think their reasoning was that it's not universally applied to the city and it doesn't prescribe land use you know when you、oh. think about whether something has to be single family or commercial. Um, but it wasn't unanimous, and some judges were saying that even the historic district program was dangerously close to the line of constituting zoning. And if you look at some of the regulations, some of the options here with conservation districts, you know things like building heights, number of stories,、um, those are zoning-like regulations.、Um, the lines are getting blurred. Exactly. And Houston has—I didn't know this because I'm like relatively new to Houston—but zoning's actually gone to voters like three times. The last time we voted on it was, you know, thirty years. Oh God, that's really sad. That ninety-three is thirty years ago. Thirty years ago was the last time we had a big citywide vote on this.、Mm-hmm. So you know, since then, like, think of how many people have moved to Houston, particularly from out of Texas. You know, maybe the ethos of our city is changing. More West Coast people like are kind of used to it. I mean, at least I am. Could be. We need another vote. <laughs> I feel like that's like too big of a change.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only yeah. the only types of change I could imagine would be like on the scale, like like、right. a piecemeal、Incremental, type of.、Mm-hmm, yes. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, 
Yeah, I think, I mean, pretty much all the experts I've interviewed on topics related to this are like, ah, Houston's never going to have like full zoning as you think of it. Like, it's just not going to happen. The desire isn't there, but we're introducing more things to control (laughs) development. So I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. The uncertainty I'm hearing is that the devil's in the details. So I, I do think what you're saying, the fact that like, you know, even as we're talking about it, it's sort of like, we aren't sure what it's going to look like, you know, sure. and uh, for people who like really need things to change, I feel like I see why they're like, well, let's just try it. Yeah. And then I feel like what people really afraid of change, I can see why they're like, we need more certainty before we vote on this. I know, but we, the certainty is just not there. Like, like yeah. we said, even as a model nationwide, there isn't really a consensus of what the neighborhood conservation district is going to look like, even though we have these kind of programs in, you know, Dallas, Cambridge, um, okay. Nashville, in Seattle, yeah. um, they all look a little different. There isn't really that widely agreed upon definition yet. Uh, and here we have a unique model where people get to decide what kind of regulations they choose to impose on their neighborhood. So there really isn't that certainty that, you know, some people are looking for. I think the other variable is because it's so community-driven and the rules are community-driven, it's possible that it could play out differently. Like perhaps some communities choose a regulation that inadvertently leads to gentrification and then exactly. someone, some other community doesn't, you know, so it's, yeah. it's, it's almost going to be hard to, um, to do an analysis, to do an analysis, sure. uh, apples to apples comparison. And we're saying it's community driven, but I do think that is like also a point of worry is because we're actually lowering the bar of the percentage of the community that has to opt in. Mm. And also the community does not necessarily have to be the one that gets the ball rolling. At least that's my understanding. So like obviously at least half of the community has to that that gets impacted has to opt in. We'll see like which areas are chosen and how strong the consensus is in those in those communities. Like I think it's that they're starting out with the ones who actively expressed interest because those are communities that have been interested in this for a while. Do you know if, let's say if council does approve this and they initiate these pilot programs, like what's the timing on this? Like, is there any Mm -hmm. sense of when we would actually maybe start to see some of these conservation districts come to fruition? I don't know about a timeline because right now we're still just trying to approve the, the framework. Actual, yeah. Yes, but I know some communities like Friedmanstown, like the Heights, are you know they eagerly want something like this. It's independent Heights, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. They really want something like this, but right now the timeline, specific timeline, we just we don't know yet. Okay. Okay. We'll definitely be following this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep us posted. Yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> Can't. Can't wait to see how things unfold. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Thanks to our print editors, Gabby Banks and Brian Rausch. And thanks to our producers, Scott Kingsley. Thanks to Farrell Gibbs and his band, all the components for the theme music. And if you like this episode, please do us a favor and send it to a friend. It helps us just get our real estate reporting out there so people can know what's going on in Houston. Until next time.